read from Exodus chapter 1, verses, verse 8, and then through chapter 2, verse 10. So what we're hearing is the beginning of the greatest story from the Hebrew Scriptures about Moses and his beginning. And the beginning is not what you might expect. It reads, Now a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, The Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pitham and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread. So much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. The king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Puah. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. Now the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, Why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? The two midwives said to Pharaoh, Because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of their own families. And then Pharaoh gave an order to all his people, throw every baby boy born to the Hebrews into the Nile River, but you can let all the girls live. Now a man from Levi's household married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that the baby was healthy and beautiful, so she hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a reed basket and sealed it up with black tar. She put the child in the basket and set the basket among the reeds at the riverbank. The baby's older sister stood watching nearby to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and while her women servants walked along beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent one of her servants to bring it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child. The boy was crying. She felt sorry for him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. Then the baby's sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Would you like me to go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter agreed, Yes, do that. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I'll pay you for your work. So the woman took the child and nursed it. After the child had grown up, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I pulled him out of the water. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word which pierces us in such a wonderful way. Sometimes it pierces our hard exterior to show us things maybe we aren't ready or, or we don't think we're ready to see or to hear. But I thank you that you come to us anyway, that all with ears to hear will hear. Help us put our guard down to hear you. Speak through me in spite of me. And let us hear you in spite of ourselves. Lord, may all that is said and heard, contemplated and done, may it all go to please you. May it be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So short, relatively short, reflection on this story. It's the opening of Exodus. Exodus is the beginning of the story of the Hebrews. They wrote Genesis to catch you up to how they got stuck in Egypt in the first place. And what we're told is of a nameless and faceless king. We don't know who it was. Not given a name, which is a great honor. The king doesn't receive it. This leader of a nation is feeling insecure about all these foreign people increasing in number on the land and feeling a bit vulnerable. The king has no connection with the people. Doesn't know who Joseph is. Obviously has no connection to them. And he's threatened by them. So threatened by their strength and ability to possibly change things if they were to ever stand up and say no. He seeks to deal with them wisely, the, the scripture says. He thinks it's wise. What we find then is God at work through two named midwives, Shifra and Puah. I'm going to say Shifra and Puah. I want you to remember these names. They are instructed not to let the boys live, but we know that they are obedient to God, which means they cannot be obedient to the king. And so they aren't. And when they're approached about their disobedience, they fool the wise king by exploiting his ignorance about how childbirth works. The Hebrew women are just too strong, Pharaoh. And he falls for it because he doesn't know any better, this wise king. It's a masterful episode of the reversal of power. The king is suddenly outside of the knowledge that these women have. God's work is suddenly working through these midwives. What are their names? Shifra and Puah. Yeah. They operate within the parameters of the king, though. They say, we, we just, it's their birth too quick. Right? They don't say we're openly defying you. They work within the, the structure set up. Um, so they're kind of subversive in that way. So the king orders then all people to throw the baby boys into the Nile River. And then there's a mother who hides her son for three months because she sees how beautiful he is. This word is an echo from Genesis 1, when God sees how beautiful or good the earth is. She recognizes this goodness in this child. So she decides she'll hide him. Now, she doesn't just cast him down the river. If we read it, she puts him in a basket, covers it with tar, waterproofs it, and sets him in the reeds along the river bank. So she technically put him in the Nile. And then her daughter stands and watches. These women are wise, aren't they? And then a princess and her servants see the basket, and it says that she sees the child. Something Pharaoh's never done. She feels sorry for him, has compassion for him. And suddenly, this foreign child becomes 
worthy and precious and beautiful to her. And so she seeks to take care of it. So carefully, notice, the daughter says, hey, you should maybe have someone suckle it for you. Would you like me to find somebody? And the princess says, yes. And she says, I know just somebody, and grabs the very own mother, and Moses is placed back into his mother's arms and paid to take care of him. So who is wise? The women are wise. It's as if the writer is trying to make a point in this story that Moses, being this man that delivers the people, was delivered by the work of wise women. Let us not overlook that. I'm serious. I think the writer made it clear we're not to overlook that. So we find careful, truly, and, and wise, compassionate action being taken by those with little power and status to work against the unjust law created by the leader who's paranoid, disconnected, and afraid of these people that aren't his people. It's almost unbelievable that God can accomplish such amazing works now that we know how the story of Moses unfolded, how it led to us being here today. Today is Children's Sabbath, a time when we remember the part of our population that is without power and status by our cultural standards, by our political structures, but they do contain the very power to change the world today and tomorrow. And they can change it for better or worse. That's the power they have. Around us in our community are homes full of children. Some of these homes have great support and means provided by parents who give them the privilege of simply having been born in a home with means. And these parents work for a better future for their children. Raise your hand if you're a parent that has worked for the better future of your children or are in the middle of that work now. Some of the children in our homes, they have great spiritual support. They happen to be born in homes with Christian teaching. And they grow up in this. How many of you were born into a spiritual home? How many of you weren't born in a spiritual home but came to know Christ other ways? Several, a number of you. You had to overcome some things simply by not being born in a home. You didn't make the choice what home you were born into. Some of the children in this community are born in a home or parents or maybe a parent or maybe grandparents or maybe someone else want to provide a better future. But they don't have the privileges afforded to them to do so. Some care providers work full-time. They're single. And they work full-time to pay for things. And then they can never be with the child. And so we have a number of kids that run around the neighborhood for many different reasons, but they're outside all day. Some of them are not allowed to be indoors. And so in the rain, they're sitting on our church lawn. Some care providers want to make a better life, but they just don't know how. No one showed them. And then some care providers don't, in fact, provide much care. Maybe they're dealing with their own issues. Maybe it's addiction or health. Maybe it's depression or a rough marriage that has caused so much tension they don't know how to function. And here are the kids in the midst of these different atmospheres right around in the neighborhoods all around us. We need shifras and puas to fight for them. We need mothers and daughters to subversively work to take care of them. And we need pharaoh princesses to have compassion and those who have the means to do something about it. Do they have a Shifra and Pua? I think they might. 
What if we are the Shifra and Pua for our community? Our WOW program has established a connection with a lot of the kids from the surrounding community, and we've got to hear a lot of stories that are heartbreaking. We've witnessed the lives change for some kids who have come to develop relationships and to know that they're cared for, to know that they're loved, that they have a place to go when it's raining, when we brought them into the office and offered them water. Some of the faithful commitment that's happening right now with you all to be a part of the children's program, whatever way you are, it's shining light of love and support, a lifeline. People are drawn in to the light of love and grace. And when they know, when kids know that they belong, no matter who they are, what they look like, all people respond to that. All children respond to that. We respond to that. Miracles happen when people of status and power and privilege look around and come to see the problems around them and see the faces and the hearts, hear the cries, have compassion, and then decide to act. My hope for this community, this congregation, is that we become a body that is a shifra and puah for all the children around us, no matter what their age is. That we can look among the reeds and find the children right there for us to see. It's easier to follow the rules of the power and just stay within the structures that benefit us. I'm guilty of this. It's easier, but we must be Shifra and Pua. We must obey God first. And sometimes that means saying no to others. The child of the Hebrews named Moses changed the world. And then eventually one of his descendants are the descendants of the people he freed was named Jesus, born to a couple in Nazareth. And he changed everything. He changes us now. Both Moses and Jesus, they stood up. They stood up with the weight of the world on their shoulders and said, I'll be a Shifra and Pua in the way that God has called me to be. Jesus Christ empowers us to stand up for the children of Sellersburg, to be the true light of God's love and grace, and may we commit ourselves to the work of God's justice for the children here and, and over here and over there. And may we do it now. Get involved with our children's ministry. That's my simple plea as a beginning place. Brenda, do you need some more people to, to help with children's ministries? Always. Always. What a joy it would be if we all became Shifra and Puas and the kids came to know that here they're safe. Here they have a place. Here they can find food to eat. Here they are loved as we simply proclaim the work of God. Let us think about how we can do this. And as soon as you feel yourself feeling nervous, that's a good thing. That means the Spirit's actually stretching you a little bit. Let us be in prayer together over how we can be present for the children in Sellersburg and how we can go and, and do something with that. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you bring the Shifra and Puahs into the world that we don't even know how they came to be employees of the king, but they did. And we know ultimately it was through you. And their little acts of defiance led to the world changing forever. 
And as we're in the midst of the birth pangs of that new world brought through the work that they helped start, as we wait for the day when it will all be done and there will no longer be needy or hungry children, Lord, help us to do your work to help that grow here and now in the same way that others helped us grow. Lord, we give our lives to you. We give our dreams and goals and ambitions to you. We give our hesitations and our fears and our yeah, buts to you. Use us, Lord. Let us be shifbrows and puas in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.